The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another show. And we have two really good topics for you today. Now, this is a little strange, but you're going to see why it's important. The first topic we've called funeral planning, how to make it easier for everyone. Now, let's admit, death is not spoken about around the dinner table. And most people have little understanding of what should take place after a death occurs. So we have a unique opportunity today. We get to hear today about insights from a funeral director. Our guest, Jennifer Martin, has been a funeral director for 28 years in Queens, New York, where she lives with her husband and three sons. Her goal is simple, help families through one of the most challenging times of their lives while ensuring they're educated on what burial consists of. Jennifer is well known for her kindness, professionalism, and the ability to guide families in making the best possible choices for their loved ones. Jennifer, I know you have a few stories you can share about high-stress situations to avoid and what families can do to enable more focus on honoring their loved ones and keeping stress to a minimum. Can you give us a few examples? Sure. Um, And thank you, Jonathan, for for hosting me. Um, Funeral planning is one of the hardest things that um, anyone is going to have to do. And most people don't plan a funeral more than once in their life. If someone has planned a funeral more than that, it's it's really unfortunate that they've had that much loss. Mm-hmm. The average person plans it once, maybe twice. So what, what we find when, when people come in after the death has occurred, um, they're exhausted. Um, they've often been with their sick relative. Um, they're numb. There are significant financial concerns. Um, because if you don't do this every day, you don't understand, you know, what it's going to cost. Um, so, so we sit down with the family members um, and we talk about what we ask them questions. What would your, how does your mother want to be prepared? Um, how is she going to be dressed? We talk about caskets. And these are all things that people don't. They don't know. They haven't talked about these items with their family. Sure. And sometimes you get multiple, you get three or four siblings together, and everybody has a different idea of what's appropriate for mom or what's appropriate for dad. And they argue. Um, and then once we go through and determine what is selected, the next question becomes, you know, who's going to pay for these things? And quite often they'll turn to the sibling that's the most financially secure and say, well, you've got this, um, which then creates tension because that sibling feels it should be shared. Um, We actually had a scenario where the brother and sister were in the room and she told me in advance when it comes to the final contract, she's going to step out and I'll handle that with her brother. So Mm -hmm. not a problem. Um, and when that happened, he looked for her. He couldn't find her. She was in the lobby. He actually punched her. Oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
So it, 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 it very tense, very, yes. very tense. And needless to say, I'm not sure he was released in time um, from the overnight jail stay to attend the service. Oh my gosh. Um, so oh my I would gosh. say that's a, that's a worst case scenario yeah. um, where, where tensions get high. Um, but it, it is, you know, when it comes to planning and the unknown, it, it's anything, anything can happen. Yeah. So what, what's your, what, what recommendations could we give to people listening? If, if they know somebody is near the end of life, you've kind of made a, a couple of suggestions, but is there a list of things that people should talk about with their family or siblings and have some agreements before they come see someone like you? So, you know, it's interesting. Um, having those conversations with family members is so hard and so many people, you know, aren't comfortable doing it. Um, one of the things that we think is a really good idea is, um, and one of actually the best gifts that you can give your family is to make your own arrangements in advance. Ah. Um, so I'm going to say that is the, the best thing that people can do. Um, and you can do that really at, at any age mm-hmm. um, to speak to a funeral home and make your own arrangements, which allows those decisions to be made by the person who wants them. Right. So you're taking the guesswork out um, for your family. Um, but if, if someone hasn't made prearrangements in advance for themselves, we get families calling us in advance because mom or dad is on hospice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even that is wonderful because we can go through um, all of the options and the choices, burial, if the family is looking for cremation, um, do they own plots? Um, we've had situations where families have called us and said, well, we have a plot and it's next to my mom and I call the cemetery and there's somebody else in that plot um, that doesn't belong there. Mm. So, so there's stuff that, that can come up and is surprising and unexpected. And when you're trying to arrange for a burial and you find out all of this unexpected stuff, if the death has already occurred, it's just adding a whole nother layer. So by, by, placing a call to a funeral home, talking to a funeral director in advance, knowing what you need to know, um, and allowing the funeral home to do some legwork prior, it just makes things so much simpler when the time does come. Yeah, and let me, and if we can go into that a little bit more, like when you, if it's really planned beforehand and it's simpler, what kind of experience do the mourners have? So it's so interesting because we, at our funeral home, we have a lot of people who have pre-planned. And um, even last week, a, a daughter said to me, you know, when my mom told me she did this, I was, I, I was so conflicted that she went in and prepaid her own funeral. <laughs> but now all she had to do, the daughter, was call us up and say, my mom had died, gave us the name, we pulled the file. We said to her, when do you want the funeral? Mm. And she said, Thursday at two. And I said, great. And that was it. Wow. Um, so, you know, in this case, all she had to do was drop off clothing. But it, And she said to me, like, she couldn't even understand how, given what she was going through, mm-hmm. she would have had to make all of those decisions. Um, and she was just so pleased that her mom took care of everything. Even though when her mom told her, she felt conflicted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are not comfortable conversations to have, no. but it really is. I mean, I've been through the death of both my parents, and I can attest to how stressful it can all be and how exhausted you can be. 
um, and how if you have anything planned in advance and some agreements, um, I, but fortunately, my siblings and I get along very well. We had differences, but we, we ironed them all out um, and decided what was going to happen. And it just made, you know, what it really enabled us to do is to, to, to focus on the dignity and honor of witnessing somebody pass and then, you know, um, giving them the honor of either a burial or a cremation, whatever it is. But the, really, the focus was on honoring mom. Or honoring dad and not, you know, being in conflict with each other sometime. Correct. And and just all the stress and all the unknown and, you know, all, all the, the last minute planning that can consume mm-hmm. and doesn't need to. Yeah. Now, if I'm, uh, if I know something's coming and I want to <clears throat> approach a funeral, uh, a funeral home, what are some questions I might ask of a funeral director to see if I want to use their services? Do you have a, a list of recommendations? I do. So, so I'll, it's very interesting. So one of the things, so if you're talking about planning in advance for something that would be many years from now, it's important to know what kind of um, where the money's put, if it's put in escrow, if it's an insurance um, policy, every mm-hmm. state has different laws. Um, so you just want to make sure it's not going into the into the funeral home's private bank account. Mm. So for for pre planning, it's important that it's it's in a very safe uh, safe place. Um, that uh, that the funeral home can't just you know doesn't have access to it should really be an escrow. Again, okay. some states are escrow, some states are are insurance states. Um, but it, before the pandemic, the, the answer would have been different. Mm. Um, now, one of the very important questions is: Does a funeral home offer webcasting mm. or Zoom services? Mm. Um, because what we've seen is during this last year, so many people weren't traveling. So the need for Zoom or webcasting was much higher. Um, here in New York, we're fully open. We are having people come back to our funeral home um, in full capacity. But we're still seeing that people who are out of state that a couple of years ago would have gotten on a plane and flown now know that there's Zoom, now right. know that they can appear, you know, that way. So, so it gives them the option. Um, and these are people who, who would have traveled, but why, why do so? So I think that, that that is an important question. Does the funeral home offer Zoom? Is it just at the funeral home? Is it at the cemetery? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's a question that wouldn't, you know, a year and a half ago wouldn't have even been relevant. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and another thing that some of the funeral homes offer and and is coming back again is actually catering services, um, mm. following the service or mm. during a visitation or after a memorial. And this was something that had started pre-pandemic, and there was a pause. But now we're we're seeing that. So so if being able to have um, a reception at the funeral home. Again, whether it's a memorial or during visitation, is something that is valuable to you. Not every funeral home does that, so that's an important question to ask. Good, good. Any any others on the short list? Um, I I think uh, you know is are the phones answered 24 hours a day by the funeral home or is it a service? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not that one is better than the other, but it's kind of nice to know what to expect. Okay. Um, you know, are you going to expect to get a service and have somebody call you back or is somebody going to be answering the, the, the phone at the funeral home? Again, right. not one is not better than the other, but it's nice to know. 
Yeah, I would think so because, uh, you know, if, if somebody close to you or your loved one passed, I don't know that you'd want to be talking to an answering service. So it might right. be nice to know in advance. <laughs> right, right. And again, the answering services, you know, most of them are great and they get somebody who calls you right back at 3 a.m. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's a nice thing to, to know what you're going to expect. So, you know, so you're not thrown off guard. Good. Now, th- that's, that's, those are some really good pieces of advice. When you think about the best funeral directors, I mean, best practices, and I'm going to put you in that category, Jen, because I know you're very active in your community and you've gotten so much feedback and you've been there for so long. What are the best funeral directors do for their clients to assist them with calmness and dignity for the, for the burial? So I think being attentive and, and listening to what the family needs, being available. Um, if a funeral director is rushing you or not interested or too busy, this is not someone that you want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be a- an explanation of everything, of not just explanation of charges, but explanation of what's the plan? How is this going to happen? Um, you know, whether it's the day of the funeral, whether it's before the day of the funeral. Um, so th- those are those are important important things with a with a funeral director how available are they going to be to you and if they're not available who's going to be assisting uh, making the arrangements right what are some other what what are some other things that people might look for or expect um, so you know it's different for 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 some families um, like i i have a my own personal availability, you know, I, I can be reached 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily standard with, with funeral homes. Um, but I, I think that with, with any funeral director, funerals can be super traditional um, or they can be different. Um, if we had a, a woman who was an artist And one of the things we decided to do was let's think out of the box. So I'm going to say a good funeral director is going to think out of the box. If the family, if she was an artist and I said, bring in her stuff. Mm. And we displayed her artwork all around the family room. And, and people were, were walking around saying, wow, this is like, it's, it's beautiful. It's an art show, but it's, it's her. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think, I think that, that, that being creative and honoring that individual. Um, funerals don't have to be the same. They don't have to be standard. Um, you can have a family who is v- devoutly religious, who, who wants standard, who, who, yeah. wants, who, who wants what, you know, what is traditional. But, but we are definitely seeing people becoming less and less traditional and you need to be open to whatever it is that they want, because uh-huh. this is this should be a celebration of that person's life. It's it's not just the 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 end. It's a celebration of who they were. Right, Jennifer. What we just have a couple of minutes left. But what got you into this business, and what keeps you going for? What really motivates you, or, or I don't want to say turns you on, but maybe what what's what's satisfying for you in doing this kind of work? So, so people always are surprised um, when I say I'm a funeral director. It just sort of not most people don't know funeral directors. I love my job. I love mm. everything about it. And 28 years later, if you said to me, Jennifer, would you do this again? I would do it in a heartbeat mm. um, because I enjoy just being able to 
help families in the worst possible time and and just knowing that that they're getting the care that they're being taken well care of um that they're being steered in the right direction to meet their needs mm-hmm. it is just and that I'm doing it right and I'm doing it right for for each and every family it is without a doubt the most rewarding career I love it. I, wow. I I I don't I get calls middle of the night I don't mind because I'm I'm there and I'm 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 there for the people and the families know that I have their best interests um, in heart. That's really wonderful. It is an unusual profession, I would yes. say. I've I've <laughs> never met a funeral director, I'll bet most people haven't either. So most it's really great to have you on and get this perspective early on so that people can think about this. Um, I'm so glad you came on to talk about this. It's a topic we really don't cover. You know, at the dinner table or in other discussions, it's just not a pleasant idea, but this can be a very honorable and just a sacred occasion for the passing of someone's life that we can really exp- experience in a creative and um, a calm way to really give honor to who they were. Um, I want to thank Jennifer Martin so much for coming on. You can reach Jennifer. I'm going to give you her email if you want to get in touch with her. She works. Uh, her email is jennifer.martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, at dignitymemorial.com. That's jennifer.martin at dignitymemorial.com. You can see her profile on our website at gotohealthmedia.com. You can look her up there, and you can also see her profile on voiceamerica.com. Jennifer, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. I'm so, so much. glad you, you shared this with us today, and God bless, and we'll hopefully talk again soon. All right. Thank you again. Take care, Jennifer. Thank you, and thank you, everybody. We'll be right back with another great segment you'll be interested in hearing about after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back, everybody. And uh, for the next two segments, we have Kathleen O'Shea, Kathy O'Shea. She's a professor of English and Humanities at Monroe Community College in Rochester, New York. And significantly, she's a 43-year sufferer of migraine. She's been published in the Greenwood Encyclopedia of World Popular Culture and Opera Magazine and is a regular blogger on migraine with Psychology Today. We invited her on because she has written a book called So Much More Than a Headache, which you can buy on Amazon.com or her website, which is Migraine Lit, L-I-T, MigraineLit.com. We've called her session Migraine Symptoms, Migraine Support, and More Than a Headache. Welcome, Kathy. How are you doing today? I Actually, I'm doing pretty well today. I'm having a good day, and, good. and so I, I cherish those very much. Yes, I'll bet you do. So you're what's called a migraineur. This is a term, a term I've never heard of before. Someone who experiences migraine headaches. Tell me what motivated you to write your book, which is called So Much More Than a Headache. Sure. Um, first of all, I, I have to acknowledge that the term migrainer is one that's a little bit uh, controversial. Um, some people don't like to be identified by that term. Yes. Um, I'll, although I... I, it's a term I use, and um, I have no I have no problem with, but I do need to acknowledge that some people find that that means that they're identified as in that way only. Um, yes. But I I just I, I do use that term in my book regularly, and and um, but on your second uh, your question, what got me interested was I was in the throes of a a migraine that was uh, really in residence with me for three months. Um, oh, my gosh. Yes. And I was trying to work through it and uh, continue my teaching and and doing my best to, to just do basic tasks of life. And uh, I had, you know, because migraine can be a very circuitous cycle and you're not always in the fierce part of the attack and sometimes you know, it ebbs and flows in terms of the the intensity and the symptoms and so forth. But you can be in a cycle that just you you cannot break or you find extraordinarily difficult to break. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I was in this cycle. And I remember I was walking to my office one afternoon and I said, I just something hit me. I can see it as clearly as day where I said to myself, I have to do something positive with this because it's it's a lifetime companion. It's not going to permanently go away. And what do I turn to when I'm grieving or struggling or um, finding ambiguity and and not finding answers? And that's literature. So mm. I thought, why not start looking into to literature? There must be artists and authors that have that have that have suffered migraine that have written about it. 
And so just out of my own personal interest, I started looking into that and, and finding author upon author, poet, playwright, essayist that, you know, through the, through the ages that had uh, either experienced migraine themselves and or had created characters uh, in their works that, ex- that were experiencing migraine. And then, so I didn't start out wanting to say, oh, I'm going to write a book about this. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really just became a passion that I kind of just delved into for my own sake, my own sanity, if you will, and um, and my own help in coping. And then it became a project of real passion for me. That's wonderful. Now, for those of us who don't suffer from migraines, can you tell us a little bit in your experience, is, isn't migraine just a bad headache? How does it differ? What kind of experience do you have? And what kind of experiences have been described in literature that you've found? Sure, I'd uh, be happy to. And that one of the goals with my book is to really educate people, uh, you know, uh, because migraine is very misunderstood disease. Mm. And it is that. It's a disease of the brain. Mm. Um, we now know, I would say in the last 10 years or so, so much more about what migraine is and what it isn't than we ever have before. So, you know, that's that's a plus. And so, therefore, you know, treatments have been developed that have been much more effective in helping people cope. But migraine is much more than a headache, which is why I really had to emphasize that in the title of the book, because that's the misconception that, oh, you, you, you have a bad headache. Oh, I've had migraines before too. Or, you know, I get migraines and, uh, you know, and then I, would you like some Advil or Tylenol? Mm. And, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing when you are so misunderstood and it's such an invisible disease mm-hmm. and migraine goes the, the migraine attack itself, the headache attack itself, is only one stage of migraine. Mm. And that stage can be anything that goes for hours to days to, to, to weeks and months. Mm. But the other parts of it um, that a lot of people have no, no knowledge of at all, which is understandable because it is an invisible disease, right. is that it affects one emotionally um, and physically in a variety of ways. It affects the whole being. It affects the whole self. So cognitively, it uh, impairs us. Uh, I in teaching literature and teaching language and the power of language. And here I can be in a classroom if I'm experiencing migraine and I have word drop, you know, or, you know, a blank. It, here I am talking to students about the importance of language and I can't come up with the most basic word mm-hmm. and which is very difficult. You can imagine in my profession, but uh, people get confused. They lose things. They, um, and they, many people have actually said that people appear uh, inebriated uh, mm. when they're suffering migraine because it affects so many parts of the body and, and in so many ways. And of course, emotionally, there are many components to it as well. But there's also, there are warning signs that m- most people suffering from migraine have. A lot of people associate the aura, think of the aura right away as the most common the, the aura, what's, what's the aura? Can you yeah, explain sure. that for those of us who don't know? I'm sorry. Yes. The aura is, um, it's really kind of still not understood fully, but 
uh, 20% of my people with migraines uh, get aura before the migraine. It's so it's a warn. It's a warning for them. They know it. That means a migraine attack. The headache part of it is probably coming. Although mm-hmm. some people, interestingly enough, get only the aura and never get the attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the aura is, and there's a whole section I in my book about, you know, the very experience of aura because it's quite dazzling. I don't experience it myself, so I'm not an expert on it. But in having read so much about those who have had it, it's a very visual um, experience and it's very unnerving, I think, for the individual uh, until, you know, perhaps you're used to it being part of your life. But you get dazzling colors. You get um, you all of a sudden your sights become your sight becomes fragmented. It becomes you become disoriented. Mm. You know, there, but you see colors and shapes that are you know highly unusual. And this can last. I think I can last minutes, um, and then, as I say, you know the attack is coming. There's no pain associated with it, but um, it is very unnerving to experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine, do, do people who have migraine, do they live with a lot of anxiety about, mm-hmm. oh, my God, when's the next one going to happen? How bad is it going to be? Yeah, and I'm so glad you asked that. There, there's actually um, a term for that, that it's called interictal burden. And it's um, cephalogeophobia, I believe, is the term for the fear of a return of migraine. Mm. And what happens is that in the let's say one finally has what I call a migraine lift. And for me, what I mean by that is the, the entire migraine, not just a headache, but every part of it has lifted from my body. It's almost, it's just, there's no other way to describe it except all of a sudden I feel like a normal human being, like I do today. I feel like myself, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, that true self is. And, but then the, and you you appreciate the day, you appreciate the little things, um, you appreciate everything so much more. But then your very next thought is how much time do I have? Mm. What can I get done in the time I have? Because I don't know when the next one could hit. It could hit in an hour. It could hit, you know, in a day. I might have a week. Who knows? But you want to do as much as you can. And yet you're fearful of the things that you do that might trigger another attack. So it's a very real fear. Uh, It's a very real anxiety that all of us suffer with, who particularly who have chronic migraine. Mm. Uh, and anxiety becomes part of the migraine is, itself as well. Um, you, you uh, those uh, many people, many migrainers suffer with anxiety um, as as well as as migraine. You alluded just a moment ago to things that you uh, do that might bring on a migraine. Do do people who do migrainers typically have a list of things that they know if they do it, it's going to bring on a migraine? I mean, is this predictable? Yes. Yeah. Can, you, can uh, you give us some examples of some of what sure, those are? Sure, I'd be happy to. And it's interesting because um, it wasn't until recently that one of those, um, I, this isn't a trigger, but it was just as an aside, kind of a warning sign that what is so highly unusual, one would never think of it as one. Um, and that is excessive yawning. Hmm. So I was experiencing that, but I never thought. I never made the connection that that meant a migraine was coming, but it would be so excessive. It, you know, like it's not an occasional yawn. It's 
it's like one right after another, after another. And I have TMJ, which is common with migraine as well. And mm-hmm. so here I'm yawning one time after another. And, and it got embarrassing in public because it, it got to be so constant. But triggers. Okay, so triggers for some people are certain foods. Uh, alcohol can be a trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me, uh, triggers are stress. I mean, uh that's that's a major one. And what's interesting is that most of us who suffer um, a trigger of stress, you get through the event itself, okay, uh, thankfully. But it's always after the fact. It's when the letdown comes that the migraine hits you. Uh-huh. And and as I don't just mean negative stress. It can be it can be positive. A lot of people around the holidays, for instance. I wrote a blog about that around Christmas time. If you if you suffer from migraine, you you suffer many more around the holidays because it's such a stressful time. And I don't just mean in a negative sense. It's like you also have a lot of anticipation. You're looking forward to something. People look forward to vacations, for instance. Yeah. Often will get a migraine at, at the beginning of the vacation. Um, or sometimes air travel, believe it, you know, believe it or not, because of the changes in in the atmospheric pressure. Um, for me, that's a that's a definite trigger. I I have to take something in advance before I fly. Um, the list goes on and on. Everybody needs to know what the chocolate can be a trigger for some. Oh my gosh. Um, foods, you know, just haven't happened to be one for me. But I would say the most common, and I have cervicogenic problems too that bring on. Um, migraine. So I know if I do certain physical activity, uh, it's just going to be, I, it's a guarantee. Got it. Got it. For, for those people who are living with someone who has migraine, <clears throat> what, are, what are some helpful um, understandings that a partner can have or behaviors that a partner can have to support somebody who has migraine? That's a wonderful question. Uh, yeah, it's ex- extraordinarily important that one has a, a strong network uh, of support if you suffer migraine, and 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 that your caregiver or caretaker, whether it's your spouse, it's a close friend, a family member. My, I grew up with migraine since I was fourteen. Mm. My my parents were and still are um, extraordinarily supportive of me and uh, helpful to me. My husband, I'm very fortunate, is as well. And what that means is if I tell him, well, another um, warning sign for people or something that people experience with migraine that's invisible Mm -hmm. is a heightened sensitivity to for all the senses. Mm. So that's why a lot of times if you have a headache specialist that you go to or a neurologist, if they're hype, if they're really educated about migraine, they won't allow fragrances in the room um, because mm-hmm. a lot of my people with migraine can't handle fragrance. That's a trigger. Um, for me, it's sensitivity to sound. So, like, if if my husband had the TV on at a very normal volume, all of a sudden, I just couldn't take that. You know, it would be like you got to turn that off. Um, it can be sensitivity to touch. But caregivers have to just know what these are and accept the person for who they are with this disease, just like mm-hmm. one would if, if one had diabetes. Mm-hmm. And learn as much as you can and just try to be there for the person. There's not a lot physically you can do to help in the midst of migraine, but there's a whole lot of emotional and, and loving care that you can provide. Yeah. So when you're in the middle of a migraine, what, what are the best things you've found to do? 
<laughs> yeah, if I'm in the middle of the throes of a severe attack, um, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think many, those, those of us who suffer from, from severe migraine, you want to die. So mm. one of the, the, one of the things, one of the parts of one of the chapters I have in, in, um, in my book is that, you know, it, it's just a headache question mark. And, uh, and there's a wonderful passage by Virginia Woolf. I believe it's in her, in her segment where she says that, you know, the fact that one doesn't die from migraine is a kind of ambiguous blessing, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, the pain is that bad. Um, oh. And so the best thing you can do is you just try to get through each moment with it. I mean, that's right. the best you can do and take and, and do your best to keep on top of your preventatives, your acute medications and taking your acute medications just as soon as you begin to get uh, the, the, the warnings of an attack. Right. And right. I don't know if I have a, a second just to say this, but, one of the major problems that my people with migraine suffer from, as well as people with other chronic illnesses, is that that's all well and good for doctors to say that, you know, mm -hmm. and it is the right thing to do to take it just as soon as you get the sign. Right. The problem is insurance companies only cover, you know, maybe eight pills for a month. Mm. So one has that's the other fear one lives with. Right. What, battling, do I take it now or do am I going to have a worse attack later and should I save it? Got it. Got it. Good. Kathy, this has been wonderful. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we sure. will come back and talk more with Kathy. And what I'd like to focus on there is some of the things that she's found in the literature about migraine from people who are migraineurs and they're good writers and they're able to express this. So stick with us. We'll be uh, back in just a few moments to talk more with Kathleen O'Shea and she's at Migraine Lit dot com migraine lit.com you can look her up there and see her book we'll be right back stick with us follow us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, so we're back with Kathy O'Shea. She is the author of So Much More Than a Headache at MigraineLit.com. We're talking about migraines. And Kathy's unique approach to this is she's really researched the literature about what really good writers have written about migraines because they are migraine sufferers themselves. So, Kathy, over, an overview for us. What can literature teach us about migraines that other more medically oriented books don't really cover? Yeah, I mean, what, my, what I found to be unique about this collection and, and what I hope for with it is to, is to show uh, uh, and demonstrate the subjective and imaginative experience um, that we find difficult to describe, you know, in terms of, of our own use of language in, you know, in such clinical terms mm-hmm. with migraine. So, Whenever, if you if you think about it, even when you describe a migraine or you describe a headache, for instance, and you say, "Well, it feels like a hammer," you know, is hitting my head, or it feels like a drill is going. Well, do we don't really? That's metaphoric, right? I mean, so we don't have the language to really describe what it feels like because we don't know what a hammer feels like when it hits the head. Right. Um, we can imagine that, but what literature does, you know, it it's so frustrating for people with migraine to, to say to a doctor on a scale of one to 10, how would you describe your pain? Well, how that's such a that question just is infuriating actually, because everybody has a different scale. Everybody has a different tolerance of pain. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, so what literature does is it captures the essence of all forms of pain and struggle and grief and ambiguity and, and, that's what that's what migraine's all about. It's about all of those things, mm-hmm. and it can say what what we can't, and that's the power of a great writer. Um, so, you know, that's what I found so unique about the different writers and on you know that I that I've used in the different themes uh, around which I've organized the book. Great. Can you give us a couple of examples and maybe read some of the writing you've uh, got in your book so we get a sense for what writers, what good writers are able to express about migraines? Sure. If you don't mind, I'm 50, 50, turning 58. I need to switch glasses. No problem. problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, this comes from probably, I would say, the definitive uh, essay written ever about migraine. And mm-hmm. if I might, I'd say that this essay found me. 
And so sometimes literature finds you, it's not you finding it, and it's finding the right piece. And that's why the collection is so important. The idea of the, the widespread collection is so important because not every piece in this collection will speak to every reader, but yeah. you will find one that speaks to you and you'll say, that's me. You know, I've, that's what I've experienced. So this comes from Joan Didion's In Bed. Mm. And I'm just going to read the first um, several lines. Three, four, sometimes five times a month, I spend the day in bed with a migraine headache, insensible to the world around me. Almost every day of every month between these attacks, I feel the sudden irrational irritation and the flush of blood into the cerebral arteries, which tell me that migraine is on its way. And I take certain drugs to avert its arrival. If I did not take the drugs, I would not be able to function perhaps one day in every four for I had no brain tumor, no eye strain, no high blood pressure, nothing wrong with me at all. I simply had migraine and migraine headaches were as everyone who did not know them imaginary. I fought them then ignored the warnings they sent, went to school and later to work in spite of it. And then she goes on, if I might, just for a second. Sure. Migraine gives some people mild hallucinations, temporarily blinds others, shows up not only as a headache, but a gastrointestinal disturbance, a painful sensitivity to all sensory stimuli, an abrupt overpowering fatigue, a stroke-like aphasia, and a crippling inability to make even the most routine connections. I drive through red lights, lose house keys, spill whatever I'm holding, lose the ability to focus my eyes or frame coherent sentences. Wow. You can really feel that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's Joan Didion. Interesting. I didn't Joan know. Joan Didion. It's a, it, 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 this essay, as I said, I was, I was thrown into teaching a grad, my first graduate class on composition and given the textbook and said, these, you're going to work with these essays. Very first one I opened up to was that, and I just oh, wow. was sobbing by the time I finished it. I'll bet. Oh, my gosh. Can you read us another one? Oh, sure. Um, this comes from, um, this is from the chapter on in the invisibility of migraine. And okay. this is by um, a writer, uh, Sarah, um, um, Sarah, uh, let me make sure I got this one, Sarah Tisdale. Um, I'm sorry, Sally Tisdale. And she says, uh, headache is a particular insult, an intrusion into the mind. It is inherently emotional. The pain makes it hard to think and destroys equanimity, but so does the accompanying neuronal storm. Headache triggers a response in the emotional centers of the brain. Your head is making you lose your temper, making you cry. I'm not trying to claim that the pain from a headache is worse than the pain of a broken bone or the gnaw of tumor and infection, though certain types of headache cause profound pain. But there's something fundamentally different about it. A pain benign in a technical sense, malignant in an existential one. The sufferer is oddly contracted and reduced. The word is almost unbearably banal for the metaphysical jolt and psychic crisis that engendered. What we call headache is a neurological event encompassing every part of the body, mind, feeling, and the construct we call self. Wow. Boy, these are really, they really get to it very quickly. You can really feel it emotionally. 
Yeah. Do you have another one you can share? These are sure. these are really this good. Is a po- this is a poem, um, and it's from my um, uh, section uh, theme. Uh, it's a fu- uh, uh, full-time, lifelong job. Um, okay. And this comes from a poem called Dear Migraine by Gail Mazur, and it's, a, it's an excerpt from it. I've given up trying to outsmart you, and the new thinking says I didn't invent you. Whatever you were to me, I've outgrown. I don't need you, but your tenacity embodied, tightening my skull, my temple like plastic wrap. Many times I've traveled to a dry climate that wouldn't pander to you, as if the great map of America's deserts held the key to a pain-free future. But you were an encroaching line in the sand. Then you were the sand. We've spent the best years of my life intertwined. Wherever I land, you entrap me. Wow. You have a whole book of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so I would imagine that this book is really good for migraineurs. And I would also imagine that this book is really good for people who, who live with or love or care for people who have migraine headaches to better understand what this experience really is. Yeah, absolutely. And the third audience actually for it um, is medical professionals, Mm. uh, definitely. So, so migraine or not migraine, but um, uh, medicine and literature has become, you know, an important theme uh, and and program in in many, uh, in humanities and literature, uh, humanities and medicine, I'm sorry. Yes. um, Have become, you know, important for a lot of, you know, physicians take courses in these now, which I think is wonderful because they teach empathy. And that's what literature does best is teach us to be empathic and, and, and so that we can, we can try to experience something that we've never experienced and put ourselves in the shoes of someone who has. Mm-hmm. And I really think that uh, actually the, the headache specialist to whom I dedicated the entire collection um, is my former uh, retired uh, headache specialist, Dr. Joseph Mann. And he, you know, he indicated that he wished that he had read such a book while he was still practicing mm. because it really would have helped him better understand the narrative uh, mm-hmm. of individual uh, migraine patients. Mm-hmm. So this might be a great book for migraineurs to recommend to their doctors. Yes, yeah, and now, it can what, also help doctors. You know, I think, you know, create the environment that's more conducive to my, their migraine patients as mm-hmm. well. You know, keeping keeping voices down. You know, the, the 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 incessant music that one hears while on hold. You know, forever mm-hmm. is. I mean, all these things are terrible for if yeah. you're suffering migraine. Yeah, what kind of doctor are we talking about that specializes in migraine? What 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 kind of practitioner should we be looking for? Sure, if if you suffer from migraine, um, you know you you ideally you want to see a headache specialist, uh, mm-hmm. and they are certified. You know, they're neurologists who are certified in uh, with a, a you know specific training, additional training in the mm-hmm. area of migraine. And the problem with that is that we there's such an incredible shortage of headache specialists. So while mm. we might have 60 million migraine patients, you know, we have um, a, a tremendously 
uh, small number of people specializing in migraine for a variety of reasons I now understand. Uh, one of which is women, you know, have never, you know, the women, uh, it's, a, it's considered a women's disease still. There's that stigma attached to it. And people don't find it. And this very term was used by a, a former uh, neurologist of mine. Uh, it's not a sexy um, specialty for mm -hmm. a neurologist to get into. Mm -hmm. uh, and and also, uh, there have not been a lot of mentors you know, yet to build up the field. So uh, what we hope for is that more and more people will go into this area. And now that we're learning so much more about migraine, but if you can't see a headache specialist because there are so few, then you want to definitely see a neurologist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I would think, well, you tell me, you'll know, you'll know much more than I, that, that uh, a, a, a virtual appointment could be as effective as an in-person appointment. If, if, if a headache specialist is not near you, would you find that to be true? Ah. That's an interesting question. I hadn't thought of that. It certainly would be a start. Yeah. Uh, it would be a great start. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, you would want to have a neurological exam, and, 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 uh, and I think that that would be something that the neurologist would want. Right. But, but uh, you know, because they want to make sure the diagnosis is correct. Yeah. Uh, but, but certainly, it's a great starting point. And you're right. It offers an avenue for people, you know, exactly. I, I think of now that, I'm in Rochester, New York, and we have a shortage of headache specialists, in, 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 particularly now. And so some of the closest ones would be in Buffalo. So say an hour away anyway. Right. And but you're right. Virtual appointments as follow ups and, and keeping with medications and so forth would be very helpful. So right. that's a, a great avenue. Right. Good. Good. Well, I want to thank you so much, Kathy O'Shea. Um, you're a, 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 I don't know, do you, what do you, how do you call it? You're, I mean, you're a migraine neuro, but do you say that you suffer from migraines or what's the, what's the word, what's the verb you Yeah, use? that's the controversy, right? Is how, yeah. how, how what do we put it? I, I don't mind saying I'm a migrainer, but I know that some people listening would, would be offended by the term. So right. what, what they prefer, what others prefer is to say that you're a sufferer of migraine. A sufferer. Okay, good. All right. So that's, that's the right word. It sounds quite negative, but um, I guess that's yeah, the yeah, there's, There are different ways of looking at it. And yeah, I, I, right. under, I, try to, I try to understand that and I try to use both throughout as I, as I discuss it. And I did my best in the book to make that, you know, that, this, you know, that the awareness as well. Wonderful. So thank you, Kathy O'Shea, for so much for being with us. Again, Kathy O'Shea is a professor of English and Humanities at Monroe Community College in Rochester, New York. She wrote a wonderful book called So Much More Than a Headache, which you can buy on Amazon or her website, which is migrainelit, L-I-T dot com. And Kathy, so much, thank you so much for being with us and enlightening us about the experience. It's been very valuable, I'm sure, for a lot of people. If you'd like to watch this video, uh, we will have it up uh, next week on our website at gotohealthmedia.com. And if you want to know more about our upcoming shows, you can go to gotohealthmedia.com slash getupdates. You'll see that there. And uh, Kathy, thanks so much for being with us and educating us and providing us with more passion about people who have migraines. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you. I so appreciate it. My pleasure. God bless. Take care, everybody. We'll see you again next week. And you can follow our schedule on voiceamerica.com or go to healthmedia.com. Take care. 
Talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at gotohealthmedia.com and elevate your life.